There was a time several years ago that I did something really stupid. Now, now hold on. I did not say it's been seven years or all these years since I did something stupid. I do stupid stuff all the time. I'm just remembering one specific stupid thing I did about seven years ago. I was remembering as I was reading uh, our text for this morning, getting ready, I remember a, a time back we weren't living uh, here. We were at a, serving another church, and it was around the time our youngest, our little our boy Parker was born, so that's been a little over seven years ago. I think it was a Saturday afternoon. I'm home with my two boys, uh, you know, infant and a, and a two-year-old. And Penny's off, and now she's off at the, the hairdresser, at the beauty salon, wherever. And we live in a real small town, so she had a, she had a drive a ways to go, go do that. And I was watching the boys. Now, before I tell you the stupid thing that I did, let me ask you a question. Now, husbands know kind of like one of the unspoken rules of being a husband is, what do you say when your wife comes home with a new hairdo? It's wonderful. I love it. I mean, right? That's what you're supposed to do. It's great. Doesn't matter how much it costs. It's great. It's awesome. That's what we're supposed to do, right? Boy, man, you guys need some training. You're like, what? I didn't know that. Wow, okay. Now, you're supposed to do that. I know, I've, you know, I was even at the point married long enough. I know that no matter what, uh, what hairdo, I mean, if she came home with half of her head shaved bald and the other, you know, dyed bright pink, I'm supposed to say, I love it. It's great. You know, that's part of being a husband. Now, however, I kind of got a shock that day when she came home. Now, I'm going to just embarrass my wife. See, everybody can turn around and just look at Penny right there. Don't run away. No, no, no. Now, besides just being uh, just the most beautiful woman ever, in my opinion, one of the things I've always loved about her is her long blonde hair. In fact, I mean, it's one of the things I was a sucker for long blonde locks. I mean, when I saw her, I was like, that's the one right there, man. I just love that blonde hair. And, and for all of our married life, I mean, it's really been certainly... You know, not shorter than it is now, at least shoulder length and usually quite a bit longer. And I always loved it. I mean, she came out just with all done and go, oh, my, that's so, you know, I mean, I love that blonde hair. It was good looking, man. I tell you what. So I'm watching the kids one day and she comes in, had not told me a word, but comes in and she did the dress thing of, I mean, she chopped it off. I mean, it was short, short, short. And she comes in there and I was just shocked. I didn't expect it. And she comes in and looks at me. And, you know, she says, well, what do you think? And I'm supposed to go, oh, I love it. It's great. And I go, uh, you know, I can't have one of those looks. Like, you know, try to smile, but, like, she can just tell. I'm like, I don't like it, but I can't say it. You know, like, I just, it was not my, you know, preference of the show. I just had loved that long hair, and it's, just, it's been a cut off. And I don't remember much after kind of not saying anything good. I I blacked out for a couple of days. I've had this weird flat spot on the back of my skull ever since then. I'm not sure what happened there. Um, no, I tried to be, it was shocking to me. I was like, I love that long hair. And it was all short. And, of course, she reminded me I'm, I wasn't the one that had to wash it and curl it and take care of two little kids all at the same time, you know. So she was very justified uh, in doing so. But, I mean, it, it just kind of. It kind of got me. And ever since then, every time she goes, gets a haircut, I'm not cutting it that short. I promise, Greg. It's... Now, you know, again, I know as husbands, we have, you know, if you've been married more than any 
you know, just a short period of time. I guess we could talk to our, our engaged couple back there. Brother, uh, they left. What was wait a second. Missed out on them. They're out there helping. Okay. But they need to so say, you take the advice to them, okay? Can you do that for me? They need to go, watch out. You just say nice things about your wife's hair. However, maybe men, men, we've maybe been getting this wrong. Because Scripture, in fact, what we're going to read this morning, it seems to lend itself to the fact that we as husbands have the right, the biblical right, to determine our wife's hair. And the sermon title comes up, Hair Today, Gone Tomorrow. <laughs> you don't like my pun. That's right. You watch that, you have to get one of those flat spots on the back of your head, brother. No, it, it's going to be weird. Now, we're going to read some verses, and it sure seems like what it's saying, one, I mean, it's going to, not to get ahead of what we're going to be reading, but it's going to be talking about how women, the, the long hair is to your glory. And if you're going to have short hair, you might as well just cut it off because it's to your shame. And, and husbands, don't forget that the husband is the head. And husbands, you don't, you don't cover your head and, you know, your hair and all this. So, so I guess from this, we get to us husbands. Next time you go to the beauty parlor, we're going with you, and we're going to make sure that they do it by the Bible. No. Okay. Now, wait a second. Some of you are going, wait, are we really? Did I, you know, did I really come to church today to talk about hairstyles and hair length and what goes on my head? Well, yes, yeah, sort of, to tell you the truth. I mean, I, I'm just, just getting you ready because... We're going to look at this passage, and as we read, as we just continue on through 1 Corinthians, you're going to see a lot of it deals with, um, you know, about your hair, men and women, but mostly it's talking to women, uh, and also about some how you relate to your husband and authority and head coverings and, you know, all this stuff. So, yes, part of what is getting to the hair, you're going, now, what in the world does that have to do with my Christian walk? Why am I here today to be told if my hair is a certain style, I'm more godly? Hang on just a minute. We're going to go through this. We're going to look at it. And yes, it's going to go seem strange at points. Why, is, why does God want this included in his holy scripture about our hair? But I promise you, just don't let me lose you this morning, because I promise you that it has more to do than just your hairstyle or if your hair is covered or not. There's a whole lot more going on. In fact, this is one of these passages that we look at and we go, hmm, that's kind of odd, but if we dig deeper, as so often is in Scripture, we find there's some really cool, amazing truths. Now, before we read, I need you to do one more favor. Forgive me for taking a little bit longer this morning. I need you to, if, this may not be the case for everybody here, but if you're here this morning and you're married and your spouse is sitting next to you, I hope your spouse is sitting next to you, not on the other side of the room, uh, I need you to do me a favor. Spouses, I need you to look at one another. So, Penny, I'm going to just kind of look from way back here. I want you to look at each other in the eyes. You know, give that, give that lovely look that, like when you were just about to get married. Jennifer, Terry's back there. You can, you know, and, you know, back there, just look at him. Oh. Come on. Are you, you, okay, now I'm serious. Wise look. This is more for the wives. Good job, brother. Good job. Wise look in your husband's eyes. Imagine them back when they had hair and 50 pounds less, okay? The, 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 
Think about the day when they were, uh, you were marrying them, right? Going, ooh, man. Look deeply into your, your spouse's eyes. Now, now whisper a little sweet nothing to them. Say, I love you, dear, or smooky poo, or whatever your name is for your... All right? Now, I, we're in church, but, it, but I want you to give, you, give a little peck there to that, that spouse there. Now, make it church friendly. We don't need our young ones learning something this morning. So I'm going to blow kisses there at my wife back there. So we need a minute of saying, I love you. Now, why am I doing this? Now, y'all stop making out right there. Come on, we're done. I said a peck, a peck. Now, listen. Yeah, talking to you. Now, why am I making you do this? I'm being a little silly this morning, aren't I? Why am I making you do this? Because here in about a couple minutes, and just as soon as we're reading, you guys are going to get really mad at each other. In fact, really, it's going to be the wives. You're going to start, that, that husband that you were just making the smoochy eyes at, you're going to go, ugh, I don't think so. You know, like, it's, gonna not, it's not going to make you happy, okay? And we're going to have to pause a couple of times and go, think back to, you just looked at each other, you just said, I love you, little, you know, and all that, you know, I got to make sure. Because you take this the wrong way, you don't understand what, what we're really after. Man, it can tear you up. And in fact, I'm just going to give you a warning because there's some people who come to scriptures like we're going to read this morning and say, man, that God stuff, that following Christ, that being a church thing, that's not for me because if I got to live like that, you, they miss the point. All right? And I want to do this because a lot of what this does talk, it does talk, it relates to all of us. There's something for all of us in this, but there is an issue as it relates to spouses and some of the things we, we, are, we can do or we're not allowed to do or shouldn't do. We need to remember what God is really getting after. So with that in mind, let's turn our attention over to our scripture this morning. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 2 through 16. While Terry limps back there after kissing on his wife to put our scripture up for us this morning. We're going to look at this. Just go with me and try to understand really what's happening in this passage. It says this, I praise you for remembering me in everything... And for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And that the head of woman is man. Woman, remember what you just thought of your husbands, okay? You love them. And the head of Christ is God. Keep going. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. Women, remember the godly gift to your husbands here. But the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. 
Is it, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Now, when I have read this, some of you might be thinking exactly what Penny was thinking when she and I talked about this a couple days ago, what I'd be preaching on, and when she said to me, Greg, you might just want to skip over these verses. I mean, because it's, we read it today, we realize it was written a long time ago, and, and some of the things it says does not jive with our normal situation. I mean, let's just be honest. How many of you ladies came in here today, and in your prayer time, you had your head covered? I didn't see any of you. I was watching. You sinners. You know, I mean, look, I mean, what? And I don't know, I was trying to look around. Do we got any men with long hair today? I mean, because if, if there's a mullet in here, I knew mullets were evil. They, I mean, it says no man should not have long. Right, you see with me, it's going, how do we relate to this? What's it talking about? Now, a quick review. So in case you didn't get the, the major points, it starts by talking of authority. It says Christ over man, man over woman, just like as Christ was over uh, under God. And, and so we're going to talk about that in a minute, understanding that's the key to understanding all this. But then it talks about who should have head covered and uncovered. It says, you know, man should not have his head covered as he's in church, as he's praying, prophesying, as he's, he's worshiping. You know, should not have be covered. But women, you, know, you better have your head uh, covered as you do these things. And if you didn't, you might as well cut your hair off because you're dishonoring God and all this. And then it's a reminder of who has, you know, authority. And then it gets back into, you know, men, don't let your hair grow long. And women, make sure it is long and not short. And I get to that indigo again. Why does that really matter? Why does God want to make sure that we have cl- clarity on our hairstyles? Or whether or not it's covered or uncovered. Now, to help us out this morning, I'm going to go back over something I shared with you several weeks ago, and I told you would come up again as we studied through 1 Corinthians. It's a great tool for understanding God's Word in any place. We, we can use the tools we read something, we can say, is this prescriptive or descriptive? Now, if you forget what that is, let me give you the quick review again. A descriptive passage says, Um, This is something that God said to a specific time, specific situation, and it's supposed to stay in that situation. I used the example when I told you this last time of the Battle of Jericho. You know, God said for that situation, march around in that manner and then blow the trumpets and yell and walls come thumbing down. I was never told in that passage to apply that exact principle to my life. If I'm a commander of an army, you know, going to go attack in a city, unless God specifically says to me again, walk around the city, all those times, then I should, I'd be foolish to take that advice. That was a descriptive passage. You can learn a lot about God. You can be extremely blessed in a descriptive passage. It's not any less than the other kinds, but it is. It's saying that kind of situation, I'm speaking to that moment. Then there's prescriptive, this, that when it's spoken at a certain time, a certain situation, but it's true from then on. When Jesus said to the disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He was speaking to his disciples. 
But that truth was not just for the disciples or for the people that lived that day. As a prescriptive passage, it means it is true from then on. When he spoke it then, he was speaking it today. And to understand the difference between the two is key when we come to God's Word. Now, whether that's the first time you heard that or again a review from a few weeks ago, let me ask you a question. We read all this about hair, long and short, and heads covered and uncovered and all this. So let me hear you, a little bit of congregational participation. Do you think this is a prescriptive passage or a descriptive passage? What's your guess? Some of you are like, he's going to, I don't know if I can be brave enough. Come on, what's your guess? Eh, wrong. It's a prescriptive passage. Now you're going, oh, now I've really done it. You're going, so Greg, you're going to come in here and start measuring hair lengths, and I'm going to provide hair coverings, head covers for all the ladies. Okay, let me be honest for a second. There is a portion of this passage that's descriptive. The, the specific issues about hair, okay, is, is descriptive. It's to their culture. I'll explain a little bit in a second. That's even not, but that's not the point of the passage. That's not why it was, those little issues, just the, again, the length and the, was not the tone of why God gave this to us. There was something bigger. And the bigger point that is put down in this passage is absolutely prescriptive. It is absolutely needed just as much today as it was then. And it's got an awesome truth in it. That truth is just set inside the issue of, in that context of what they did in church with hair and coverings and things, those things. So there's a portion that's descriptive, but a huge lesson that is extremely prescriptive for us. So how do we get at what God is really trying to say to us? How do we come to a passage that deals with all these things that don't meet our culture and don't meet our context uh, and, you know, of that time way back there and say, what, why would God want this included and marked down and recorded for all the ages to come? So let me highlight a few verses for you and see if we can get an understanding of what we're trying to be taught. What's the main point? What's the prescriptive thing for you and me? And let me tell you, actually, if you'll come and understand what God is trying to say, this is an awesome blessing of a passage. The second verse we read, which is verse 3, said this. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is is God. That verse right there is the cornerstone to understanding what's happening here. It is not a verse that says, here's the hierarchy of who's best. Okay, God, which we do know he's best, but that's not the point I was trying to make. And then man, and then woman, you know, and it's like, who's better than who? That's not what's going on here. Paul is once again presenting this idea of godly authority, or even a better word would be leadership or headship. But not this dominating thing, not this I'm better than you, I'm the boss of you. That's, not, that's never in the Bible. He's talking about this authority, and he's also being presenting this, this notion that comes out in multiple places in the Bible of, our willingness and what should be a part of our Christian responsibility is to be submissive in the areas of headship, authority. Now, I'm going to tell you, this, this still rubs people the wrong way a lot. 
This idea of someone is over me. It starts with the, the, the saying, Christ is the head of man. He's given the picture of how Christ has authority over me. Now, I can choose to reject that authority. I can run away from it. But saying that I that I'm under the authority of Christ. Now, in fact, to become a Christian, if I'm going to be a follower of Christ, claim his name, it's not just by jumping in baptismal waters. It's not by saying some magic prayer. How, is, how do we come to Christ? In confession of our sins and coming under the headship, the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's saying, I'm submitting myself and my will to Christ. That is the picture of coming to, to Jesus and being saved and redeemed. When you rid yourself, when you die to yourself and come under the lordship of Jesus. And in Scripture, wants to make sure it points out, says, look at Jesus. When he came to this earth, when he became, he was God but became man, he willingly did what? submitted to the authority of the Father. Jesus is also God, but the picture he gave us is one of, I am submitting my will. How often do you see Jesus talking about, not my will, but your will? I came to do the will of the Father. I'm here to do what he has called me to do. Everything was saying, I am under the headship of God the Father as I am doing this ministry, as I am God incarnate, Jesus Christ on earth. He gave us the example of how cool it is and how, how, what a blessing it is to submit to authority, to headship. It doesn't, it doesn't take anything away from you. In fact, it's an extreme blessing to you. Now, with that in mind, we deal with the statement that says, and man is the head of woman. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, just before you're going, you know, struggling too much, that most people say, that again, that's really referencing husband-wife. That's really talking about the husband-wife relationship. This is not a comprehensive list who has authority. What this means is this, friends. God ordained. He said, as I'm making the union, I want authority. I want headship in the family. I'm putting it under man. He's following me. Wife is following him. That is not a statement of husband. Man is better than wife. Never is trying to present that to us. He's saying, I got this ordained system of one is submitting to another, and that person is being authority, being headship, leadership over another. And in fact, uh, men, I specifically want you to hear this. When you begin to look at passages like this, and, and other ones you know, around Scripture where it talks about wives submit to your husbands and things like this, it is a tougher passage for the men than it is for the women. Because they tell them, when I read this, here's how I see it. Man, you are responsible to be a godly leader for your family, for your wife, for your kids and the grandkids and the others I bring in your sphere of influence. You are to be a godly leader. I've asked them to trust you and to follow your leadership, and so you better watch out how you're being led. This is not a passage where I get a ring go, yep, I'm the boss. I get, what I say goes. I get to tell her or that person what to do. It's not what it is. He's saying, God has placed me in a role so that I had better make sure I am following Christ 
Because I got other people following me. And in fact, again, if, wives, if you understand this, it is a tremendous blessing to you. Because you can say, as a wife, saying, I get to take some stress off, and I'm going to trust the godly husband that has been brought into this family. I'm going to trust that he is following the Lord. I'm going to ask him to make sure that he's doing it because I'm watching his steps. That can be a tremendous stress relief that you don't have to do everything, run everything, make decisions because you're going to say, I'm submitting willfully and joyfully to godly leadership. It's the practice each one of us are called to do in Christ. I've told some of you this story before, but I'll never forget it. Back when I was in college, when Penny and I met, we were both social work majors. Um, now, the social work program at the university we went to was predominantly women. I was one of about three guys in the whole program. So it was not uncommon for me to be in a class where I was the only male. So what I did, I made sure I found, I found the cutest girl in the social work program, got her to marry me, and then I switched majors real quick. That's what, basically what I did. But I remember a class I was in one time. I was the only guy. And we were doing an exercise in the values you respect in marriage. And you're supposed to say, you know, what should the wife, what values should be for the wife, what values should be for the husband. And there's a long list of, you know, 20 things. Trust and honesty and service and, you know, all these different things. And you're supposed to fill out what the wife should have and what the husband should have. And one of the items on that list was submissiveness. So we all fill out a little piece of paper. What should the husband have? What should the wife have? And we go around, and the teacher says, let's talk about what you put down. Again, I'm the only male in the room. And as each woman, woman you know, speaks to what she put on the list, the comments I heard were, Oh, last one was submissiveness. Why did they even put that on the list? That's ridiculous. You know, all over and over, I just kind of pounding on it. And then the teacher asked me, you know, to share my results. I'm like, pass? You know, do I have to? Because, again, I, I, submissiveness was not number one on the list, but it was up there in the higher because I looked at it as a godly value. I understood what God is saying when he says, look for where you have been put in a place of needing to submit to another person and do so. I am to submit to Christ. And I have others who are to submit, not to be beneath me, but to trust and to follow leadership. In fact, we can apply it way beyond this list. Guess what? All of you in the workforce, when you go to a job, you probably, unless you are the CEO, and if you're the CEO, you're not going to have to talk after church because I need to see our tithes haven't been quite as good as they need to be, and I'm worried. But otherwise, you probably have a boss over you. Did God provide you the job? Did God put that person, I mean, he allowed that person to be in that place. He's allowed you to be provided. Are you in a place of submitting to authority? Yeah. If you don't, what's going to happen? You're going to get fired. You submit to the leadership of a boss. You're not a less of a person. You don't have less to contribute. In fact, sometimes you have even more to contribute, but you submit to authority. You trust that that boss, that, oh, that headship over you, is leading that company, your workplace, in a good direction. These relationships abound. I mean, think about with children and grandchildren and, I mean, any number of situations where there is a headship kind of relationship. 
There's a leadership, an authority. Authority is not a bad thing. Submissiveness is not a bad thing. So when we read this passage, we're reminded that everybody is supposed to submit in some form or another. In fact, when I really think about it, I need, I, I must submit my will unto Christ. Because I'm going to need help. And I can't lead my life on my own. And I need the reminder, i got other people looking at me. And when I do a bad job, it affects them. This idea of so-and-so is the head of so-and-so, and the so- head of so-and-so, and all this, is a glorious thing when it's understood in the context of God's love and responsibilities over us. When you come to a place of peace in your life and the relationships around you, whether it's in your marriage, in your family, your work, or just in your relationship with Jesus Christ, when you come to a place of getting comfortable with and accepting who has authority and who you're going to trust and follow and willingly submit to that person God is allowed to be in your life, Man, blessings abound. That is an awesome privilege to have. But you've got to get comfortable with that. Now, Paul brought all this up, and that's, the, that's kind of the central truth of this passage. Now, why did he get it on the hair stuff? Because in their context, in their culture, some of the things they were dealing with, this issue of coming to church, and some were, you know, long hair, short hair, and covered, and all that stuff, we don't even understand all of it, but they were dealing with some issues in that church. And Paul showed, here's, here's one visual example of how in church you can be showing the sign of authority and leadership. And you're expressing it out to those who are watching you. That we find out they've been arguing about this and some have been doing it in an unworthy manner. So he's saying, guys, hey, really the issue is, are you submitting to who has been placed in authority? Are you doing it in a godly way? And if you are, here's a, here's a visible example of what you, church, can do, and it relates to this issue, head covering and all that stuff, which was a big issue back then in that context and that culture. We don't worry about that now. If somebody comes in with you know, a hat on or long hair, short hair, that's not, that, doesn't, that doesn't make a difference right now to us. It's not speaking something out to the world about how we're living. But it wasn't in their context. But it was not about the hairstyle. It was about a visual reminder of living a life of authority and submission. We've got to get comfortable with that, friends. We need to understand that we have every day, we need to be looking for who are we submitting to. The answer is always Christ. And then who else God has placed in my life that I'm trusting their leadership. And we should also be asking the question, who is supposed to be following me? Now, we can't make that person follow us, right? We can't make them obey. We can't make them give in. That's not the intention anyway. But don't we want to be living in such a way that, the, that how we lead them, the direction we're taking them is a good way, is a godly way? It makes us pay attention. This whole passage is dealing with authority and submission. Now, when we get comfortable with it, this is what I want to share with you. When we get comfortable with authority and submission, with I have people or things in authority over me, and I have those who need to submit to the roles God has put me in. When we get comfortable in doing that, you're going to see, and Scripture kind of hits on it, two awesome benefits. The first benefit is this. 
you begin to respect those around you who are in different roles. See, Paul one point stops. He says, hey, wait a second. Guys, don't think that you're all that. Remember, uh, you know, yeah, you came from God created you but, and woman out of you, but then everybody else has come from woman. If we didn't have woman around, we'd be in a lot of trouble. And then everything comes from God. It's this idea of you are not independent from one another. The person who has the wrong idea of authority is the one who says, I am more valuable than so-and-so. And I can operate independently of so-and-so, so I'm going to live my life, and they better follow my step. The one who has a godly idea of authority and, and submission and all that says, Man, I have a huge responsibility because God has placed certain people in my life that need to follow the steps I am taking. And I better do so in such a way that is pleasing to God. And I want to realize that God has, they're of, they're of extreme value to God. And I want to listen to what that person says. I mean, the godly husband, yes, is the one that leads his family, but is also the one who greatly values the opinion of his wife and her help and all that comes with it. It is not this I'm above you type of relationship. And in fact, this idea of I am submitting, I have one who's leading and one who's following in every circumstance. You know what it does? It just removes conflict. I mean, talk about just a way to get rid of having fights. I trust you. Another person needs to be able to say, well, I hope you can because I am trusting Christ. I am following this. It's an awesome relationship, and it deals with the problems. It gives you a high respect of the other person. And again, it says at the end of the passage, it's reminding us that blessing, I just mentioned, it kind of keeps from the fighting going on. Because Paul says the warning, he says, don't be quarrelsome over this. Which means they had been. They've been fighting over who, what the best godly hairstyle in their church. And, and he says, stop fighting over it. He's saying, here's some instruction for you because you're in the situation, the situation you're in, the culture you're in, the context you're in. You guys need to live like this. Men, you need to be like this. Women, you should be like this. That's the best for your situation and for the testimony that you are. He's saying, stop fighting about it. If you get in a godly order of authority and submission, willingly accepting that, the argument ceases. Don't fight over your hair. Instead of be seeking, am I following Christ? Am I following who God has me to follow? And am I doing so in such a way others can follow me? In all this is this reminder of how desperately we need to pay attention to all of our own Decision to submit to the leadership. To the roles God has put in our life. Whether, of course, that's Christ. It may be husband. Or that may be parent. Or that may be church elder. Or whatever situation, you know, God has placed you in where you're supposed to say, I trust, I trust the headship of this situation. We have to be comfortable with that because, friends... I know I joked about it at the beginning of the sermon. But in our life, you don't know what's around the corner. 
What is here today might be gone tomorrow. What you count on as always going to be as solid, never going away, might erode from underneath you around the next bend. We sang that song in worship time, Blessed Be Your Name. And that quotes that passage from Job when he's lost everything. He says, you give, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but praise be, blessed be the name of the Lord. He's saying, I don't know what's happening today. I can't count on what happened tomorrow. So you know what? In the midst of uncertainty, I better make sure I have got my Christ example right in front of me. And I'm going to say, I'll follow on those steps because I don't know what tomorrow holds. Now for some of you, this probably comes easy. Some of you, you may probably naturally can operate in that I'm willing to submit, I'm willing to trust, I'm willing to you know, see who God has put in my life in these places I need to follow that leadership, and you do so. Not perfectly, but you do so. And there's some of us who struggle, who we fight against that will of going, don't tell me i got to listen to anybody else. I can make my own decisions for my life. I will tell that other person what they need to do. I'm on, not under the authority of anybody. And we are stubborn and prideful and dig our heels in because we don't want to think we got to listen to anybody. I'm not sure which side you fall on. I'm going to guess that probably more of us fall on the stubbornness side, the difficulty with submission side than the other. So if that's you, it's going to be a challenge, friend. It's going to be a challenge. Some of you work on every moment, every day. God, I am submitting to you. Now, if you're struggling with that, let me leave you with this thought. All of us are following someone or something. I don't care who you are. You are following someone, something. In truth, you just might be following yourself, your own desires, or your own, what you think is wisdom. You're still following something. Maybe you're following another relationship, another person, some a friend, a family, whatever. Following that, that person is the one that's leading you, but it's a person that does not need to be leading. I can tell you from personal testimony that every time I've been in such a situation, well, I'm either letting another person lead me in a way that I do not need to go, or when I'm, being, when I'm leading myself through my own wants and desires, through my own you know, will, all of those times, the end result has been pain and destruction and loss and just messing things up. Every time. I like to sit back and go, look at me. I'm smart enough. I'm talented enough. I gotta, I'll make the decisions. I'll do it the way I want to do. Well, guess what? I don't know what's happening tomorrow. And there will undoubtedly come a moment when something unexpected happens and I won't have the answer and I'll mess it up. Because I wanted to follow myself or follow this other thing. But if I would just stand back and say, you know what? I'm not living life for me. I'm not going to make my own decisions or do what my, by my preferences. But I am first and foremost under the headship, the authority of Jesus Christ, and I am submitting my will, my steps, my directions, all these 
to him because he's Lord and Savior of my life. And I'm looking for, asking God, who have you put in my life? Those above me, those in those places that I need to trust what they're doing, what they're saying. And I'm, I'm submitting. Yeah, there's a freedom in that. Friend, there's a freedom of saying, I'm letting somebody else handle that. And if it's God, if God is handling it, you don't have to worry about what comes. So if you're leading yourself, how's life going? I know what your testimony is because it's been like mine. If it hadn't already happened, you're heading towards danger. Or you can be one that I, in all areas that God has given me, joyfully submit to the headship first of Christ and then those whose Christ has placed in my life. It is blessing. It is stress-free. It is wonderful in relationships. It's all when we trust in that. But as a daily kick myself in the tail to say, stop being so stubborn, stop being so prideful, and trust what is over me. Let me pray for you this morning. Let's go for the Lord right now. I want you to seek Him in this because all of you need to be looking for two things this morning. One, are you under the headship of Jesus Christ? Under his leadership and authority, have you willfully, intentionally submitted to Christ saying, I give you my life? If you have not done so, then we need to talk. Because that's the path of salvation. Dying to self, receiving new life through Jesus Christ. I'm not saying you've been perfect in it. I'm not saying you haven't picked up the baton a few times on your own and ran with it, but have you intentionally said, my life is yours, Jesus? I mean, seriously, not just prayed a prayer that somebody else was, but committed it. To go with that, have you, have you or are you submitting to those places God has put in the headship and authority in your life, whatever that is for you? Are you struggling in that? You say, well, I know God has put this person, this, this spouse, or this parent, or this uh, mentor, disciple, or person, you know, a pastor. I know He's put that in my life to be somebody to be authority and leadership and headship, but I've rejected it. Well, let's fix that too. And then secondly, just think about this. As, you start, as you're praying to God right now, taking this to Him, who is following you? Who should be following you? Maybe they're not, but who should be following you? Again, spouse, child, uh, an employee, a brother or sister in Christ. I don't know. Who should be following your example? Paul said many times in Corinthians, follow my example. Who should be following yours? Now, whether they're following it or not, are you giving them a good example to go by? Are you confident to say to that person, follow my steps. Just stay right where I'm going. And you know they're going to go in a good direction. You see, that also puts a responsibility on you. You say, I follow Christ so others can follow me. 
Are you living a good example? So that spouse, that child, that friend, whoever it might be, that you know they can follow you with confidence. If you're not, let's fix that. So right now, be praying to the Lord. And if there's something that needs to be fixed, come on, let's deal with it.